buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I am very excited for today's guest. I've got Ashley well, she's the co-founder at Summer Salt Innovation, also the co-author of Naked Sales. Uh, Ashley's a mother, seller, co-founder, author, curious explorer, uh, and I'm very excited to have her on the show and tell her story and some other stories of examples uh, in the incredible work that they're doing over there. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Colin. I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Amy connected us. Yes. I love so, Amy. Big shout yeah, out to Amy. We're, we're both uh, in the Amy fan club. So awesome. Sure. I'm glad to have you on here. We connected for a bit. Um, you sent me a copy of your book, which I'm extremely grateful for, and I've just gotten started on. So just take me back a little bit. Where did your sales journey start? Mm. That's a good question. Where did it start? I think, you know, it started when I was just little, 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 and I always wanted okay. to sell something or start a business. And I always had lots of different ideas. I cut hair in college to make a little money. I came up with this idea of a like a cereal bar where everybody could have cereal at all times of the day. Oh, yeah, so why not? I, think I was always thinking about sales. And then I joined a consulting firm 25 years ago thinking I wanted to be a consultant. I said, I'll do anything for you to get me in the door. And I was put as an assistant to two people who were in sales and it was sort of old school sales. And so they sort of would like whip it up in the, in the room with someone and then sell it and then just hand it to me to be like, can you write the proposal and make it happen and make the contract? So I sort of got my feet wet very quickly and loved it. And so I didn't go into consulting. I stayed in sales. And so I've been there ever since. And then Somersault Innovation was born seven years ago with Justin Jones and myself when we started it. Okay. All right. So tell me in that first gig, um, what was it that you loved about sales mm -hmm. so much? And tell me some of the things that you learned early on. Yeah. Um, well, I think what I loved about it is it's very entrepreneurial. And so mm -hmm. I could like, you know... It, you're you're sort of on your own in many ways, and I and I realized that early on that I could really make it my own. And as long as I was successful in supporting sales, and then when I was a seller myself, early on when I was supporting, and then when I was a seller myself of actually I just had a number. As long as I made it, I sort of was left alone, and I really like that part of it. Um, when I was a mother, I loved that there was a lot of flexibility as long as I was, again, being successful in sales. And 
I love the clients. I loved connecting with people and sharing things beyond what we were doing together potentially, but even what were our interests in the world and what did we care about and books and TED talks and everything else. So um, just the magic of the relationships um, was a, you know, a huge charge for me. Mm, okay. So you, you love the autonomy of as long as I hit my number, leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves that. Um, yeah. So tell me, what was there some things that you learned sort of early on that have stuck with you or have kind of taken you down this uh, path of what's in the book, which I won't you know, give any spoiler alerts yet. We're going to dig into that. But is there anything you learned early on in your sales journey that's kind of stuck with you? Yeah, I think two things at least come to mind. One, it's it's really about all the the whole person, bringing the whole person into the role of seller. Um, so I that's why I was sort of alluding to this idea that I would try to engage with the other person about them beyond their job and beyond their corporation mm -hmm. and also share myself, which therefore made like really authentic connections that last did well beyond the sale itself um, and got us very connected, I think, and helped the sale. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, this idea of like getting on the other side of the table with the customer versus across from the customer. I was always interested, mm -hmm. sort of more interested in what they were trying to do than I was around what I was selling. And in some ways, that made it more, I was more successful because of that, um, which was always kind of like, I, sometimes I felt like I sell things and, and it's crazy to say, but I almost like we hadn't even talked about what I was selling and it was sold, right? Like it was all about them, <laughs> what they were trying to achieve and, you know, and then I would make it so, but um, just trying to be, it's very, you know, what now I would term very customer centric and more interested than them than what I was selling was, uh, hugely beneficial. Wow. Okay. I love, I love this idea of getting on the other side of the table mm -hmm. instead of across from the table, mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of an analogy, but it's across yeah. the virtually whatever, right. Yeah. Get on their team. We're yes. doing this together. Yeah. Um, was that something you were taught or is that just something like that was just part of like naturally who you were as a person, which transferred over to like how you were as a seller? Yeah. No, I don't think it was what I was taught. I think it was who I was naturally as a person. <laughs> I, had a feel I had a feeling. There's not a lot of people teaching that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just like who I, I didn't understand any other way to be. I think, you know, the things that I did learn that I wasn't very good at in the beginning was thinking more strategically and bigger and not doing what so many of us do do, which is narrow too fast on like a, you know, a, a smaller deal. So uh, I was naturally customer centric and, and super curious. I was not naturally strategic, I would say. Mm, so how did you start to improve that skill of being more strategic um, as yeah. a seller? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, I'd say I was grateful for people who gave me that feedback as hard as it was to hear mm. um, that someone would say that and present the fact that there was actually more opportunity on the ta table if I stayed open longer, if I stayed, if I was a bigger thinker. Um, and so I think embracing that feedback is like, okay, as much as I want to say, no, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm really strategic. Um, being humble enough to say like, maybe they do have something to say that I should listen to. Um, and then trying to align myself with people who who were, I think, more strategic than I was and really paying attention to what were they doing and how were they, how was it possible that they were selling a million dollar deal 
when I just sold, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And so trying to, to believe that something else was possible if I was able to reorient myself. Yeah. Being open to hearing feedback is hard for a lot of sellers, especially if you're like having some level of success, right? Then it's hard to hear like something that you're maybe not good at or that you could improve upon. Um, but being humble and yeah, I mean, being humble enough to just like hear that and not just hear it, but like actually do something about it. Right. Like seek out, like you mentioned, uh, people that were more strategic and maybe spending some time with them and working on those particular skill sets that would help you think bigger. Yeah. Um, was there a moment where you're like, okay, I think I finally have figured out how to like mesh these two things together. And you started maybe like seeing bigger deals or feeling yeah. more strategic in the relationships with, you know, clients. Mm-hmm. I can't remember a moment, but I certainly remember a client. Uh, it was uh, a farm, huge pharmaceutical, and it's actually a client that Justin and I worked on together. And okay. um, I don't know, there was some magic that happened, I think, and uh, he was the consulting, the lead consultant. I was the one leading the business development. And there was some magic between us and in what we were tr- sort of able to create for the customer and do for them. Um and it just kept growing. I mean, it was over a million dollar client pretty quickly. And so I think being witness to that and seeing the, the possibility um, gave me a lot more um, sense of confidence and belief that, wow, like really, if, you're in, if you really start to think differently and engage differently with the customer and even just the mindset of believing, like I can talk to the executives, why not go for mm. it? Like that in and of itself is a, is a powerful shift in how you think. I think that happened for me too. Wow. Okay. So that gave you sort of the confidence to go into future deals, um, in this, in that same manner and feeling like, okay, well, if I actually start to think bigger and think more strategic, Mm -hmm. then it actually pays off and it does work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's kind of a mind trick that doesn't sound very sophisticated, um, but actually really does. It's, you know, it's all about the power of your mental models and your belief systems. Yeah. Or limited, right? You yeah. Or I mean, limited, right? Your yeah. Limited beliefs. Sure. You know, oh, you can just kind of think, well, uh, maybe I'm just not that strategic. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then chances are you're not going to be very strategic in the way that you sell. <laughs> if you right. keep telling yourself that. <laughs> so reinforcing um, loop. So when, when did, uh, when did you and Justin decide to, you know, start the company and then, uh, write the book, walk me through kind of the timeline of how that happened. Yeah. It was literally seven years ago tomorrow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Perfect timing. Yes. Happy birthday to Somersault. So, uh, well, w- w- literally when we decided was we were in Germany, the, it was a client was German and we were over there and we were in a little mm-hmm. cafe and, you know, there were some things going on in the company. I had been with this company for 20 years that I had worked for, and I grew up there, and I um, credit them for so much of who I am today. And Justin had been there a lot last. He'd been there for about four years. And I think we just started, we had fallen in love with design thinking, which is what our firm is all about now, which is this very creative innovation methodology and thought, like, what if this is what we did all the time? And number one, and two, I was like, Jesus, I better get out of here. I'm going to die here. I've been here for 20 years. Um, so 
And, you know, there were a couple other things that were, this is actually interesting, I think, from an entrepreneurial mindset. Like I knew that there were three things that I had to have to make sure that I could make this leap. One was at the time I was married and uh, my husband had the health care, so I didn't have to do it myself. Two was yeah. I knew if I didn't make any money for a year, we wouldn't have to sell the house. Like, I, you know, I could come back around and, uh, and come out of it and my kids wouldn't starve. And three, I could get another job. Like, I believed in myself that I was mm. like, this doesn't work. I'll get another job. And so I had those three things. And so that enabled me to, and, just, and Justin sort of had the same, to say, like, let's do this. Like, let's take a chance on ourselves and try this. Yeah. I mean, even having the... Okay, health insurance, you know, having maybe some savings built up where you could, you know, if we make nothing for a year, we're fine. We won't have, you know, to sell the house um, and believing in yourself. It's still a little scary, mm-hmm. right? Because you're like, I mean, you've been at that point, you've been at there 20 years, mm-hmm. right? And to sort of reinvent yourself and like go and try something new must have been a little scary. Yeah. Well, it was both exhilarating and scary. So it was exhilarating, like, oh, my God, finally, you know, I've been thinking about cereal bars and cutting hair, like doing something on my own. And now I'm actually going to do something (laughs) on my own Uh, was great. And then it was, you know, it was scary. I think it made it a little less scary because I had a business partner. I don't I don't know that I know I would never have done it on my own. Right. And so by having a business partner, it gave me, you know, a companion to hang on to to share this journey with. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes it a little bit easier, right? Yeah. But still super challenging. Um, and you know, okay, so I'm I'm curious uh, when you be when when did you become so intrigued with design thinking specifically? Yeah. yeah, I well, when the other company I worked for, we had partnered with a simulation company that had a design thinking simulation, and I got trained to do it. And so I would, you know, even though I was on the sales side, I would deliver sometimes because I like that um, piece and. You know, I had never heard of design thinking. And then to see what would happen when we use this methodology with people was incredible. People, you know, it's all about, you know, you start with deep discovery on whatever challenge or opportunity you're trying to discover and having people put it on post-its and like think out of the box about things and think sort of wild and crazy um, as a way to diverge, we say, before you start to sort of narrow in your ideas um, was just this really amazing process that would would decrease the risk of failure and increase your chance of sort of delighting the end customer. And it works every time. And so it was just fun and creative and really useful. And so I think, you know, it was probably 10 years ago that I learned about it and and just loved the process. Okay. And so that was, so while you were working there before you guys started, you know, Justin started the company together, um, you came across, you know, design thinking and, and, and then from there, how much of your time in, you know, your previous job before you guys started were, was spent doing design thinking mm-hmm. uh, type of work? Yeah. So I was selling it and delivering it a little. So probably not that much, you know, maybe 10% of my time, you know, the rest of the time I was selling leadership development and team development and change management kind of things and facilitation skills. But you enjoyed doing that work more than any of the other work. Yeah. I mean, it's really good what you're pointing out. Yes. Yes. I became so passionate about it. I was like, this is what I want to do, even though it was a small percentage of our time. And were you seeing like some crazy results that you were like, this, more people need to be doing mm-hmm. this and we need to help them with it? Yeah. One of the, actually, it's a 
you ask great questions, Colin. Um, I was thinking about, you know, one of the things we would do, we put in a, a sort of a design thinking process or, or like a learning event in this leadership development program. So we would work with leaders, top leaders mm-hmm. in different companies, and we'd give them a challenge and they had to use a design thinking process to do it. And we would be in the classroom with them. We'd set them up and we'd say, right now, uh, you need to make a list of people that you can call, like an end user. You can call today or tonight because tomorrow you need to come home and come back and report out on it. And people, of course, would be like, tonight, today, like I can't get to them. And we'd say, of course you can, you know, find a way. And they would. And the fact that they would connect with the end user or, or someone connected to what they were trying to solve for completely changed the game, right? Of course, all of a sudden you had the voice of the customer in the room. You had new stories, new information. And people were transformed just by that little experience and piece of information. And so it was just sort of magical to see what would happen when people use these techniques. Wow. And design thinking had been used in other ways, but not specifically for sellers. Not specifically for sellers. Not in the past, I would say. Is, is that what you're saying? Are you asking, like, yeah. was it being used? No, it's usually, you know, all of us are beneficiaries of, of design thinking. So it's usually, it, it started out in the, well, it started out in sort of architecture, but then in the innovation around products. So if you've ever used an Apple product, like it came from a design yeah. thinking process. If you use a quick toothbrush, came from a design thinking process. Virgin Airlines, you know, it's all blue and beautiful came from a design thinking process because you start with really sort of like obsessively curious about what end users like ourselves like, why, why do we do things? And then you create based on what you learn. So it's, it okay. lived so, in the product development space. Okay. So for the listeners that are kind of like, okay, this sounds super interesting, but just quickly before we get too deep in the weeds in this, give them like the simplest explanation of like, what is design thinking? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'd love people to come back and say like, I don't get it. Say it again, or here's a better way to say it. Cause people always ask this question and I'm not sure that I have the most succinct answer, but I'll try. So it is a creative problem solving process. It's just a process. It has, you know, usually about five phases and in each phase it has a set of tools. Um, and Think of like Agile, Lean, mm-hmm. Six Sigma. Those are all like processes, right? Yeah. This is just the same. It's just a process. So if you said, I want to make a new cup, um, a design thinking process would say our first phase is discovery. We're going to go out instead of Colin's best idea for the, his next edition of this glass or cup, we're just going to set that aside and we're just going to watch people drink and talk to them about why do they drink? When do they drink? How do they drink? And learn all about- Why do you use that cup? Why do you use that cup? Why do you choose that one and not that one? Um, why do you, do you like that color? You know, you know tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first phase. That would be the discovery phase. And then we would, you know, sort of reframe- Which if you're company. a seller, you understand what discovery exactly. is. Exactly. So that's what it is. It's a set of phases, um, different tool sets. So you're moving from sort of what is your challenge understanding the end user who is, you know, caught up in that challenge all the way to coming out with your solution on the other end. Mm. And so in our sellers mostly using this in the discovery mm. process or throughout the entire sales process? Yes. Well, so I'll make a distinction. If you, 
if you're making a new glass, you're doing an end-to-end -end design process. You're starting with discovery all the yeah. way to your new glass. In what we're saying, as we're sort of curators of the tools from the world of design for sellers, we're saying sellers don't need to know an end-to-end -end process. They're not running a design thinking process with their, with their customer, but we can sort of borrow from the world of design to give sellers these like superpower tools. Like designers are superpowers or their superpower is around discovery. So like, why don't mm. we give some of those tools to our sellers who also need to do discovery? Um, so how do we do it in a way that you really get like keen insights into what your customer cares about or like what are unmet needs that they don't even know about that I can figure out and I can link my solution to? Was there anybody who was like, what do you mean you want us to use a process that people use to create products to sell more deals? <laughs> um, no. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, All right. I'm confused though as to like, wait a minute, like, what is design thing? Why do I need to know what this is? Just make my seller sell more, which is why yeah, I try not like, actually to talk about it. And then they're signing up with you and they're like, oh. You're like, we just used that. That's exactly. see, it works. <laughs> I do it all the time, actually. And they'll be like, wait like, a minute. What did I just <laughs> sign off on? Oh, okay. This clearly works Work. extremely well because I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what I just thought. <laughs> um, okay. All right. We're having too much fun here. So let's get a little bit back on track here. Okay. So uh, discovery process. So giving sellers this, you know, superpower. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about different ways to do discovery. Sellers clearly know discovery is important. If you do discovery wrong, you're not going to close deals. Mm -hmm. You know, deals are won in the beginning of the process. Mm -hmm. We get all that, mm -hmm. right? So just give me like an example how, you know, somebody would maybe do discovery today mm -hmm. without, you know, design thinking superpowers mm -hmm. and versus how they would do it with design thinking superpowers. And what would, you know, what are the kind of key differences there? Yeah. So first of all, I would say that I don't think discovery is a phase or a stage. It's a mindset. Yeah. Right? It never ends, right? You're always doing discovery. You're always learning more. Person, yeah. First, um, Lee. Secondly, I'd say, you know, I think traditional design, um, excuse me, traditional discovery is all about, you know, sort of the table stakes, like you understanding the corporate initiatives, looking at their website, looking at their annual report, 10K, competitors, like all that stuff is sort of like discovery around their business. And where we start to focus is how can you really understand who who are the end users of mm. or who are their customers? Who's your customer's customer and what do they care about? And mm -hmm. do some discovery there. And so let's use an example. So um, we've been working with a medium-sized tech company. We just work with four account teams and um, one of the leaders of of the account team or the AE of the account team uh, was going after this media company and had, you know, been in there actually and had done some good work. But um, we said, okay, well, who are the end users? Like who are the people that are going to, let's say, use your software in there? And they sell a sales enablement platform. So like talk to them, talk to them about what does sales look like right now in their organization, get some quotes, get some stories and bring that back to the people you're trying to work with. And so he did. And actually, literally, we are in the training. It was a four-hour sort of working session. He said, well, this is the guy I want to get to. This is the SVP I want to get to. And we had already talked about doing some of these end-user, like 
gathering stories and doing some research, which he'd done. And so he wrote a, a LinkedIn message to this guy, like while we're talking and he, in the message, he's like, you know, I talked to Sarah, one of your colleagues, and I can really empathize with her because, you know, it's hard being a seller when you don't have the right tools. And then he gave the story of Sarah, like the end user story right in that email or in the LinkedIn message. And the guy wrote right back. He didn't even know him. And he was like, yeah, you're right. Thank you for sharing that. I, you know, happy to talk. When can we get a meeting? Anyway, yeah. that's what we're saying. Like, I mean, so even at the simplest, so it's even, even at the, like the simplest example there, even just taking the time to be proactive and yeah. do that yes. is going to make you stand out in a huge way to even get the conversation going in the first place. Exactly. Because nobody's doing that. Very few yeah. people are doing this. Exactly. And you're not, you're not selling there. You're just saying like, look, I'd like to connect with you and I'm paying attention to you and your business. And I've actually even talked to some people or I have some stories I've collected. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even talking about what I'm selling. I'm talking about you. And in this sort of creative, you know, discovery process of who's your customer's customer and mm -hmm. getting information from them, mm -hmm. what are you looking for? Like, are you looking for specific things to tie to problems or solutions? Mm -hmm. Like walk mm -hmm. me through that a little bit. Yeah. Another great question. Um, I think there's a balance. So the balance is I want to stay open and curious enough that I'm just mm -hmm. learning things that I don't know. Right. And uh, I'm also selling something. Right. So I'm not going to stay forever in this space of like, you know, tell me about your dog and. Like, what do you think about the universe? And, you know, like, we're not going to go so wide <laughs> yeah. that um, I'm not sort of starting to think about, well, the, the domain in which I'm selling. So in this case, they were selling a sales enablement platform. So Andrew, the AE, you know, wanted to understand, like, just tell me about your life as a seller generally. And then, you know, and tell me, you know, what does it look like? What tools really work for you? What don't? So you're starting to narrow in a little bit in the area mm. that you work. But I think the, you know, the, the bias of sellers is to go narrow too quickly, right? I narrow right into tell me exactly about the system you use today. What doesn't work about it? Let me show you mine. Let me compare you my features. And we're off to the races versus staying more open about you know, not necessarily so personal, but their life in business and their surround and what they care about. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to, I mean, it's hard, right? For sellers to kind of slow down. Yes. Right. And like, because as soon as they get a little sniff of just like, oh, there's a problem, I have a solution for that. Yes. Um, and there's, there's just so much more that could be uncovered if you just slow it down so, just a little bit. What's the touch exactly what i was talking to a woman the other day she's like we get happy ears do you hear that term happy ears oh like, yeah right yeah. i hear it and i'm like boom i know what i, I got something for you let's close this down because yep. i can get paid and it's friday <laughs> especially especially like say an inbound lead right yeah I mean, there's so many things that get skipped yes. on inbound leads because you're like what do you mean discovery yeah it's an inbound lead exactly. they want to buy from us exactly <laughs> and you know nothing's black and right, white, right? The world is gray. So it's not like saying, therefore, you got to stay open for your whole entire inbound call and just stay in the discovery space. It's always this balance. But the, you know, I think sellers in general, we tend to move towards the narrowing, just stay open a little bit more.
see what that gets you. Yeah. And what you're saying is like also be staying open throughout, right? It's yes, not like, hey, we exactly. did we did discovery and now we, you know, we're in this next day. Like discovery continues on, continues, right? Because like, you're going to learn more. You know, you're not, you don't want to exhaust them like, hey, we've got to stay in discovery for three weeks before yeah. we can, you know, move forward, right? Yeah. But, you know, you can move forward, but still staying curious, still staying open yeah. uh, throughout the whole process because more might be revealed. Exactly. And I do, the other mindset we talk a lot about is this like notion of co-creation. So that's the same side of the table kind of idea. Like, mm. so I may be discovering, but I'm trying to, like the reason I'm staying curious and open and learning about you is because I'm trying to co-create with you the best thing for you. So, mm. um, the, you know, I thought of that because when you were saying, uh, you were mentioning the customer and something and I was seeing, you know, sometimes they'll ask for a demo right away. We're not saying don't do the demo mm. and just keep asking them questions, but respond appropriately, but use that as a way to continue to gain information so that you can be smarter about what they care about. So I'll show you the demo, but I'd love to, you know, stop along the way and get your feedback and tell me how this resonates or doesn't with you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so tell me how long were you, were you and Justin doing this work, um, you know, with, with Somersault before you're like, okay, we need to write naked sales. Yeah. Um, I think two years. Um, we started, you know, you see in the book, a lot of the stories are from Salesforce where we started working and playing. Like we literally, we started Somersault because we wanted to be teachers and coaches of design thinking, nothing to do with sales. And, but once we started, we were like, wait a second, this is like this magic tool set that yeah. was really relevant for sales. Why isn't anyone doing this in sales? So we started to play with these sellers and teams at Salesforce and the results were ridiculous. Like, millions of dollars to the bottom line, not because I just said it was magic. It is magic, but not because it's rocket science, but because it's just very intuitive things that I think because sales is about money and pressure that we become like less curious and open. And so design helps you stay sort of open and more connected to your customer. And that turns into results. So we were getting so much traction and there were so many good stories that um, it was easy to say like we got to put this down and we got to you know stick a claim that yeah. like we've discovered something here was it was it hard to pick which stories made it into the book <laughs> um well we'd only been doing it for two years then so i wouldn't say it was too yeah. hard i'd say it's much harder now because there's so many great stories and they all you know they all highlight something a little yeah. different and you gave you gave us a like a recent you know recent story mm -hmm. um can you give us one of your favorite uh stories from from naked cells um mm. to just help maybe you know anybody who's still kind of struggling to figure this out at this point just put it into context yeah well i'll, I'll tell the story that's at the very front end of this book and you can get the you can get the first chapter uh in on our website you can download it's the greyhound story um, and so this is Sachin Rai, who is still a kick-ass AE at Salesforce. And uh, he came to our course, Sell by Design. He, we asked everybody to bring an account with them. He was trying to get into Greyhound. And, and literally, Sachin's a super smart guy. He had already built an app. He'd had his engineers working on an app that he was trying to sell them. And we were like, you don't even know them. Like, stop, stop with all the mm -hmm. imagination and even construction of things. Like, go put yourself in the shoes of a customer of Greyhound. Just go down to this, you know, the depot in San Francisco. So he did. He's like an extreme user case of discovery. He did an amazing job. He took a bus 
from San Francisco to LA and back again, talked to the drivers, talked to the baggage handler, everything. And when he got back, he started writing the executives again and said, I just want to tell you about my experience on Graham. And he, he said he got a hundred percent open rate on his emails. He eventually got a meeting. And in that meeting with an executive, he said, you know, so um, I understand like your M7 report could use some innovation. And the guy was like, what? Like, how the hell do you know what an M7 report is? And it was a driver <laughs> report that he had learned about on this experience. And so that literally turned into a $3 million deal because it started with him sort of being obsessed about his customer and using that as a way to engage and then get on the same side of the table with them and say, like, let's figure something out together to make you even more successful. Wow. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, I think that the, the, the key takeaway there, right, is, okay, yeah, he was obsessed about his customer, but he was obsessed about his customer's customer. Yes, exactly. Right. right. Um, which is interesting because yeah. if you think about whatever you do, if it's SaaS or, you know, whatever business you're in, yeah. um, not a lot of people uh, get the opportunity to get on the same side of the table by yeah. being obsessed about their customer's customer. customer. And the interesting thing is like everybody gets so busy, right? Yeah. Like even your customer you yes. would think should know their customer pretty well. Oh my God. But if you so bring something away. to their, yeah, they're busy, you know, with other things that they can easily get um, so far away or disconnected from that. That's and you bring right. something like that to their attention. Yeah. Why would they do business with anybody else? Exactly. And it's so distinctive, like you're saying, and um, they can't turn away from that information. Everybody wants to know about what their customers think or experience. If they don't have any customers, they don't have a business. So um, if you're talking about my customers, I'm listening. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. This was incredible. Um, how can people get into your world, get the book, yeah. all that good stuff? Well, I love to talk. Uh, so please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Ashley Welch, Somersault Innovation. Uh, you can also find our website, somersaultinnovation.com. Somersault is with one M, um, just like you do a somersault in your living room, if you do. And you can find Naked Sales on Amazon. So it's a really quick read and um, some really uh, sort of simple tips and tricks uh, that yeah. you can use right away. I'd imagine if you know, sellers get this book and start implementing design thinking, they'll be doing a lot of somersaults <laughs> <laughs> in their living room <laughs> yeah. slash office. Exactly. That's your uh, living room. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We will, I will drop the links there so you can connect with Ashley so you can get your copy of the book, all that good stuff. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write me a review, share the show with your friends. It really helps us out. And as always, I'm listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free, salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.